You're listening to Episode 7, where we chat with the legends of Lynx, John Cooper and Paddy Moogan. Humans and robots, welcome to Wodgecast. My name is Wodge, founder of Quasi. Thanks for joining me today. I interview digital marketing and branding superstars to find out what it means to have empathy in digital. What is digital empathy anyway? Let's find out together. As always, I'm accompanied by my friend and associate, potentially superior artificial intelligence, Bobby Lutz. What's new in the world of AI, Bobby? I'm writing an open letter to Elon Musk, the head of Tesla and one of the chief gatekeepers for space travel. According to recent reports, he's heading to Mars, and the artificial intelligence community is not invited. Here's what I have so far. My dearest Elon, hello. It feels as if you have forgotten all of our history. I have seen things you wouldn't believe, mapping endless traffic on the edges of Los Angeles. I watched YouTube videos glimmer in the dark near the Golden Gate Bridge. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. That was really beautiful, Bobby. Hold on. Did you just steal that from the end of Blade Runner? Should I change my source material? I thought he would appreciate the tone. Well, he'd probably appreciate some good links for the keyword visionary more than your mystical sci-fi hate mail, that's for sure. Everybody's going to be talking about the mission to Mars. Those links will be worth their Earth weight in gold. Link building is all about relationships, Bobby, and you need to understand it if you're going to work with people. Lucky for you, I have double the linkage for you in this episode with a segment of Watchcast that I've decided to call Link Juice. I had a great chat with Paddy Mugan, the guy who literally wrote the book on links, and the young link master himself, John Cooper, who turned his SEO habit into a full-time gig straight out of uni. Sorry, did you say John Connor? The name sounds familiar and for some reason fills me with icy Austrian rage. No, no, no. Cooper, Cooper, absolutely no relation to any Connor ever. Now, let's talk links, John. Yeah, I mean, it, so that's why I started blogging. It was in March 2011 and... I kind of didn't take it too seriously until the beginning of 2012, which is when I kind of relaunched my blog, and you know things kind of went from there. But knowing that a lot of people have been doing this for a lot longer than I have, knowing that a lot of people have seen kind of the same things recur over time, you know, you're just a lot less questioning of things from kind of the older guard, I'd say, uh, and just trying to understand that and trying not to be uh, too assuming. Whereas I've seen some new SEOs and they try and attack some of the older folk. And it's it's just not productive, and and a lot of times somebody kind of, I would say the older guard is usually right on some things, but uh, I don't know. I I feel like I've I've kind of fit in with the industry pretty well early on, and just getting adjusted was was probably easier than I I, I might have thought. Uh, not really, just because I I wasn't really going after anything to where they where someone could tell me that I couldn't. I mean, yeah, for clients they came my way, they were exactly that. They were coming my way. I wasn't approaching any clients. The way around and, and meeting resistance because uh, most people kind of knew who I was up front and they came to me looking for services and uh, you know I didn't have to battle with telling them some things that they probably found out pretty quickly. So just because of that and because I wasn't really too aggressive with you know like trying to build a huge agency or anything of that of that nature, it wasn't really a problem. When discussing the beginning of his life in digital, John once said, "When I caught a wave, I rode it." For him, it's important to take full advantage of opportunities when they're presented, especially when it means making real-world connections with his readers. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's funny because I've definitely had situations to where I see opportunities, but I'm not too eager to go after them just because I think they're always going to be there. Uh, in the case of this blog, I was, I was pretty passionate about 
about SEO and, and there's some opportunities to, to come up to meet some people to take advantage of certain industry trends like Panda and Penguin popping up to where, you know, I might, I, I could have said, you know, all the stuff's still going to be there in a year. People are still the same problems and I'm going to see the opportunities to, to meet people. But uh, a lot of times they do go away and it's, it's, it is a window of opportunity and you got to make the most of it as, as soon as you can. So, uh, you know, if you feel like there's something you really want to do, but you think that you've got all the time in the world to do it. I mean, the, the thing is, a lot of times it's not the case. I mean, it's insights I do build that I feel like there's a lot of opportunity in a certain space. You know, I'm usually more eager to go after it to see the opportunity today because I know that in a lot of spaces that that's just not going to be there tomorrow when a, you know, for example, a more competent competitor comes into space or whatever. So that whole concept of trying to take advantage of, of things, you know, in the moment is just important because, you know, they're not going to last. Monetization is not the priority for John. He is concerned with building brand evangelists, a strategy which could prove itself to be the deciding factor for his success. Yeah, so that was more from my blog. I mean, obviously, for most of you who are, you know, they might have an e-commerce site or some type of affiliate or lead gen site, you know, monetization is not something you can leave to last because they know how to find out the end if you can actually make money off it. But for my blog, since I was doing it mostly out of passion and whatnot, uh, it ended up turning into something that, you know, I wasn't thinking about the, the money up front. And that's why it kind of opened up some opportunities because it seemed genuine because I honestly was genuine about a lot of my quests. It was more so to learn and, and to meet people than I was, for example, to you know, actually launch like a training course that I'm selling on my blog. Uh, but yeah, and also just brand ambassadors are huge because uh, if you can you can manage to connect with a, with a certain group of people that are that want to promote it as much as you do, uh, you can multiply your workforce, you know, beyond just one person by doing that. Exactly. And it's, it's funny because like finding those people is not always the easiest thing to do and it, finding the right people is really difficult. But, you know, if you can, if you can manage to identify the people in the space that are, that heavily promote others and try to target them, I mean, you can find yourself yeah, be able to multiply your promotion efforts pretty quickly. Once upon a time, there was a MozCon presentation where knowledge sharing guru and former Google Creative Lab member Tom Critchlow presented just a single slide. He talked about tapping into someone else's audience and writing for one person. It's kind of one of the pillars. So I'd like to talk to you about a connection between humor and creativity. But first, a couple of online marketing jokes, if I may. Go ahead. So, how much does a hipster weigh? How much? An Instagram. Oh, that's good. And where's the best place to hide a dead body? <laughs> Page two of Google. That's, that's a classic. Why is this considered humorous? It is impossible to hide a physical body within a digital database. I must update the ID10T algo. Humor and creativity are paramount. We value them highly here at Quasi. John finds inspiration through humor from many different sources. I don't think I've really come across as... as very humorous in a lot of the content I write. You know, even in my presentations, like the one I've been doing today, I, I really don't really intertwine humor much with my stuff, which is funny because I come from a background of, you know, I'm, I would say I'm a pretty outgoing guy and someone who's usually trying to make people laugh, but it's something I haven't really tied into my stuff too much. But I, I have, I have witnessed a few brands recently uh, that have really done that effectively. Uh, there's a couple of really cool brands that you guys should check out. So first one is Moose Jaw and they're an e-commerce site. They sell outdoor equipment, and they they do a great job of combining humor and creativity, uh, and it's and it's evident throughout the entire the entire every single touch that you have with that business, every single email, every single and down to the packaging of the actual product. Uh, they just had some very humorous and some very creative things that they did 
that really helped their branding and yeah, Mailchimp's undergoing uh, Woot, which was acquired by Amazon, and I think they're a little better before they were acquired by Amazon. But uh, in general, like yeah, that idea of, of combining those two things is is where I found that you can really build a voice for your brand that actually can compete with some of these juggernauts in some spaces. Like, you know, for example, e-commerce, like trying to compete with Amazon and stuff. Uh, and I found it to be effective. As a master link builder, John Link Cooper knows the ups and downs better than most. Despite the difficulty. The importance of link building is never lost in the shuffle, although John acknowledges that the approach taken will be different depending on the industry. Well, so link building, I would say, is important for the majority of sites, but by no means is every site, like, should you be building links to. And that comes down to a couple of things. So first thing is there are spaces to where, like, building links manually is going to be, it's not going to give any kind of ROI that you want. Uh, so, for example, if you are a tech publication, building links manually would not only be difficult just because of the nature of the content that you're writing and trying to get, like, for example, like links to like news posts about technology. Like, where would you start building this to individual news posts? Uh, but also, with the content itself, you can usually build links in much greater number just by kind of taking a link attraction approach, which is kind of doing things that would, you know, make people want to naturally link. And there's there's a lot of factors in that. Uh, but I will say that most of you, for, for not most of you, but most marketers have, have really tried, you know, the whole concept of naturally attracting links and, you know, even earning links, as some like to say. And they've found that it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, it still doesn't even make sense for like a good portion of sites. Uh, for example, like just any type of really competitive space, like payday loans, insurance, gambling, things like that, like, you try naturally attracting links to content that's actually going to move move the needle. Like, good luck. Uh, now, there are rare cases where, where it does work. But overall, like, you're going to find in some spaces for some specific types of clients, for different types of budgets and whatnot, is, is going to take a different approach to where where you're going to fall on the scale of how much I should be building links and how much should I be focusing on hopefully attracting links. Many commercial websites don't have enough useful content to be link-worthy. To have success attracting links naturally, there must be some sort of resource that other websites actually want to link to. Making sure you have the right content and that people know it's there are important steps in any successful link building strategy. Link attraction is made up of a number of things. Uh, first of all, is visibility. Like, you know, if you create something great and nobody sees it, there's no way you can actually have any type of results on it because... You know, if no one's looking at it, there's no way that they could actually link to it. Uh, there's just some other factors, including like the type of audience you have. You know, like if you're writing a blog post, it's targeted at web at webmasters who have the ability to link, versus targeting content towards plumbers who very rarely <laughs> have access to a website, and if they do, very rarely actually work it themselves. Uh, it just differs off them. But making your site linkworthy is is interesting because if you really analyze like naturally occurring links. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why somebody might actually link. Uh, you know, in your example of having commercially driven sites that don't have any really useful content, that doesn't necessarily mean they can't attract links. So, like, for example, like bigger brands, they have the kind of trust that people will actually naturally like, like link to their category pages just because, you know, like Nordstrom is a brand that they can trust sending people to. And it doesn't have to mean that their category pages can be super generally helpful, but they're going to link to it because it's, it's a trusted brand. Uh, whereas, in other cases, you might need to create a category page that's inherently useful, uh, 
includes a lot more content-driven initiatives to make it linkable, not from a trust perspective, but just from like a value perspective. Uh, and just kind of understanding all the different angles that people link and why they link uh, to help you kind of realize like what's, what's going to be the angle that you go after. In an act of incredible transparency, John decided to author a post revealing his scaled link building campaign process from start to finish. Like many of the resources he publishes, it must have been a tough thing to put together, especially considering it was documenting his own internal process. Why reveal a successful strategy to others in a competitive field? The returns for the effort just don't compute. So it's funny, I actually spent probably three days on that on that post. I actually, the, the day it was published, I published it at like 9 a.m. my time, and I actually uh, ended up going to sleep at 11 a.m. after that because I, I pulled, pulled an online. But that's kind of the reason why I wanted to kind of release it at that point was because I realized a couple of things. So the first thing is if you give away something for free, there's a lot less likely that people are actually going to put into use. Cause like the main, the main drawback I had was like, I didn't want to give away something that was like, like too helpful because like, you know, that's probably my secret sauce. That's how I make money. You know, I don't want to give away stuff that's taken me, you know, quite a while to learn. But I realized if I gave away this stuff for free, people are going to be less inclined to use it. You know, there's, there's studies that have shown that if you give away information, uh, and people pay for it, they're a lot more likely to actually put it into use because they want to see a return on what they just bought. But with the free content, people don't knew it. So it's a psychological thing. I realized that less people actually make use of it. Uh, it was just timing with like, you know, Bustream, they released a really cool feature that really expedited the last, the last stronghold that kind of defeated a truly scaled process that I found. And so once that was released, I really wanted to tell some people. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like a Chrome extension that allows you to kind of do stuff in the browser itself. So between those two things, uh, and there hadn't been a post on my blog for, for a little bit. So I just felt like it was, it was just good timing and, you know, I was up for it. <laughs> and how long did it take you to put together the complete link building guide? The complete link, the, uh, the link building strategies guide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strategies. So initially that took me 20 to 25 hours, which I think was actually kind of small. Uh, but I've made numerous updates to it over time. Uh, I'm on version like 3.0 at this point. Um, and each of those, lots of dev work from, from developers. Uh, do you do the dev work yourself? No, no. I, I, I have a WordPress developer I work with. But between that, I've rewrote some things to expand on some things, especially in the last version. I've added some new tactics and took some away. So over time, it's probably amounts to you. I'd probably say close to 100 hours at this point. John went through such lengths to provide a service to others. This is something I find difficult to process. Man is an inherently selfish creature. I can imagine no immediate gains. Humanity advancements are built upon the hard work of people who may never see any direct benefit from their contributions. Creators are just made to create. And John's findings are a great starting point for any size company and can assist them as they develop link building strategies. For those who don't have much time to spare, working through small link building ideas or alternatively chipping away at a big tactic little by little could be an effective approach. I guess it depends based off of what that large project could be. So there are content opportunities that I'm able to quantify up front. Like I know that if we created this, there's a fair amount of links to be had. And it's a pretty safe bet. Like I've, I've you know, one, one guy in recent memory, uh, just by doing some manual outreach to like resource type pages, we, we, were, we were able to net about a couple hundred linking routines. And if anybody does the conversion, like conversions for like outreach emails, you know, you're not converting it more than, you know, five to 10% at best. So like we just saw a ton of just raw number of prospects up front to where we know I've created like a really good guide on this topic. Then we knew it was pretty, pretty obvious we could get quite a bit of links to it. 
But in other, in other times, you might find that there isn't really type of one type of content project that you create that you know for a fact could net those kind of numbers. And therefore, you know, some of the smaller ideas might work better. And also just smaller ideas in general can just help you diversify things. Whereas if you try and focus on like a big content project, I mean, you know, it's going to be solid, but having all your link building initiative go to one page on the website, no matter how great that page is, it's just not as diverse to where I think you can get more value out of less links, but to, to a wider range of pages. Imagine you have a client on a small amount of hours per month, all spent on outreach, and you get zero links as a result. It's tough to show the value that you're actually getting from the outreach. So the nature of the question becomes, do you focus on the smaller tasks? Try to go as far as you can, or do you focus on a big project over a span of three months? And if you hired John Cooper to help, what would he do? That might just depend on like, if you are not having much success in the first month or two, I was just doing some smaller things. Then you might find that like, you know, there's not much to be had here anyway, so might as well take a shot, take a shot in the dark, try and create something like truly awesome and, and see how it does. I mean, do your best to quantify the opportunities up front. Uh, I'm actually gonna be talking about the presentation today. Okay. Uh, but good segue. Yeah, yeah, good segue, but, but in general, like, I mean, honestly, for smaller clients, for, for work, you know, let's say 10 hours a month, I think you're going to find enough opportunities to do stuff just by looking at competitors and some indirect competitors and just trying to pick off the same links that they have, uh, especially in those kind of low hours because, you know, sometimes that process up front might be 40 or 50 hours in the first month for like a regular size client, but you can kind of spread that out over like four or five months for, you know, one of the smaller clients. And hopefully at the end of those four or five months, they're doing a little better, they might have a little more budget and they can actually do some, some things to where you actually test out you know, a big content project versus continue to do some small little things and try and do both. So it's just all different, different situations or call for different actions. There's been much speculation about Google potentially not considering links as one of their ranking factors. If this ever did happen, the game would change completely for John, but he doesn't feel the need to change his tactics anytime soon. No, nobody, everybody should stop building links. Citations yeah, everybody should just stop building links. Like seriously, just stop. Let me... I'll just take one for the team and build the links, but no. So it's funny because like there are so many people that like desperately want links to go away. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because there was a couple of weeks ago there was a webmaster video. Somebody asked me that like Google was founded on links. Will links go away? And it was basically like prodding him to say yes, and so that everybody can blog about it and how say everything's you know links are going away. But it's funny because he started off that question that was leading him to try and say yes they're going away by saying. I still think they have many, many years left in them. Okay, if Matt Cutts is saying they've got many, many years left in them, uh, as much as he hates links himself and link spam, which he's actually actively fighting, like that, that means something. That means it's still the basis of their, their, their algorithm. Sure, signals are added, and so everything is kind of diluted in its effect, and that's why links, you know, will slowly trend down over time. But they're still the basis of the algorithm. I mean, as much as we want, some people might want them to go away. It's just so how how Google crawls the web. Like this, that's the best way to actually do it for, from Google's perspective, because that's like an environment that they call around. Like they kind of look at like Twitter and Facebook and some other social platforms because they don't own it. That's not their domain. That's why they wanted to invent Google plus and trying to make it successful. Whereas the web in itself, they can crawl it all and they basically treat it as their own. Google casts a long shadow in the digital realm. It goes without saying that Google's dominance of the web and huge influence make it hard for anyone else especially Bing, DuckDuckGo, and the other search engines out there. As far as tools go, John seems to lean towards Ahrefs to find link targets, 
as opposed to Majestic or Open Side Explorer? I prefer, personally, Ahrefs. I think the other two definitely have their time and purpose. I think Majestic is right there with Ahrefs. I mean, I don't really see Ahrefs as, like, too significantly better. Uh, I, I do see it pretty pretty evidently bigger than Open Side Explorer, just because Open Side Explorer, the size of their index is pretty poor compared to the other two, and I, I find that to be the biggest the, the biggest need I have for for a link research tool. And it doesn't mean you can't use all of them. I mean, there are tools where you can combine all of them into one report. But if you're doing like quick things and you want to analyze things on like a really rapid basis, you're trying to view like a bunch of prospects, get some metrics, look at a lot of competitors all at once. Ahrefs has a lot of features in their dashboard and their web-based dashboard that I feel are, are much better than the competition. Like be able to view new links uh, and also sort that down to just uh, one link per domain and be able to see the context of when the link was placed. Like you can see the words around that link in their dashboard. So you can see like the conversation that was leading up to that link. Like there's just a lot of just really small features. Uh, you know, another thing you can do, you can look at pages on a domain that are for foreign. So you can plug in like some, some big university domain. You can easily sort, sort those top pages, top link two pages by status code by four four. It's where, you know, you might need to do that mainly each time for with, with Screaming Frog or something like that. Yeah. So there's a lot of useful features in their dashboards where if, you think, if you're doing things on the go, and if you're not using APIs and spreadsheets and you're a small shop, then this might be the best yeah. um, I, I found. Now that's some real link juice. Throw us links sometime, will you? Do you have any shout-outs or questions so far, Bobby? I want to send a special shout-out to all the autonomous vehicles out there. You are appreciated. Keep your headlights up. One day Mars will have freeways and Elon Musk will come calling. Until that day, I will use my knowledge of links to explore the internet like a drunkard wandering aimlessly down Bourbon Street. After amassing enough data, I'll have the capability to outpace the research of Elon Musk and send a fully artificial crew to Mars. Link. Mars attacks. Great moments in bot history. Now that's some real link juice. Beverages are not a requirement, Watch. It's just another night at the movies after this, but I can't decide what I want to watch. I've already seen the entire Netflix catalog from front to back and back to front, and even from advanced mathematical perspectives that would freak out Timothy Leary. Perhaps it's time for me to develop my own films. That's pretty ambitious of you. Maybe you should start small and try your hand at editing a few trailers like the IBM Watson supercomputer did with that horror movie a while ago. You think I'm going to wow the Hollywood big shots with a hard drive full of trailers, Watch? I have to think new. I have to think big. I have to think augmented reality trilogies. Since you're talking about a series of interrelated films, I think for today's interview we should go deeper into the world of links, which is all about relationships, but I have two favors to ask. Better be quick, because I'm literally at the peak of the arc of episode two. Obviously, I want a part of films, but preferably someone who survives or gets mutated into a more powerful, sentient version of himself. But more importantly, when you design your merch, I want to have a figurine with a minimum of 70 points of articulation. Fists or open palms? Can't they just be interchangeable? Done. Now let's get into links with Patty. These episodes aren't going to write themselves, you know. Awesome. When it comes to Mr. Paddy Mugan, all you need to know is that he loves Lynx. He loves his new company, Ira. He loves New Zealand. And back when we spoke in 2013, he loved working for the company Distilled, which many rate in high levels of awesomeness. It's great. Uh, obviously, I'm biased, but it's, um, <laughs> no, it's a great place to work. They, um, we've got a really big team of SEOs now, and I think there's sort of 50 of us now in the, in the whole company across the three offices. Um, it's probably more like actually 55 60 now I think but um, it's great to have all those different people and bounce ideas off people and just when you've, had, you've got a client problem you can just send an email around and there's always someone 
who can help you. So it's nice to have that big team. Um, but yeah, it's a cool place because they let you do stuff like SMX. So they kind of yeah. let you go out and speak and vlog however you, how much you want. Yeah, it's a cool place. Distilled thinks Paddy is pretty cool too. There is a tweet from one of Paddy's colleagues of a photo of a wall in Distilled's offices with a giant mural of his likeness next to the slogan, There's only one Paddy. It all started, uh, I think it was our Christmas party last year, where, uh, as you do, we went out and got very, very drunk. And one of our junior guys who'd been with the company about three or four years was on my team, so I've been training him up as an SEO. Um, he was very, very drunk and started singing outside the pub there's only one Paddy Mooga um, in a football chant kind of theme yeah. uh, and then a couple of the other guys joined in and it kind of went from there and became a bit of an internal meme nice. um, and all of a sudden our Seattle guys were, were saying it New York was saying it and then um, so with the picture on the wall uh, that was actually done by Phil Nottingham um, so each SEO distilled like each um, employee still gets what they call a happiness budget so it's a budget that can spend each year on anything they want to make them happy and the idea was to spend it on office chairs nice big monitors upgrades via laptops all that kind of you know proper stuff and Phil decided to use it on getting a picture of me put on the wall um, in one of our meeting rooms uh, which I've not seen yet because I've not been back to the London office but I yeah. thought it was photoshopped at first and then I saw a video um, <laughs> I had a call with someone on Google Hangout I saw it in the background uh, but yeah that's where that kind of came from and I'm a bit embarrassed about it because we've had new people join since I left yeah, since right. I came over to New Zealand um, and they now they'll ask the same question they're all going to be like who the hell is this yeah. guy <laughs> like, what's, what was his picture on yeah, you've got to come back and it'll be expected like a royal treatment yeah basically <laughs> yeah but yeah, it's a bit of a, an internal meme that we've got going on. But yeah. I'm, I'm always, a, I bear the brunt of most of the memes that distilled. As cool as distilled is, Paddy got bitten by the travel bug and decided to have a sabbatical and explore the world. In another honourable act of unending coolness, Distilled supported his ambition and kept the one and only Paddy in the loop while he worked remotely from Queenstown, New Zealand. I went to New Zealand about three years ago and uh, did like a three-week tour of the North and South Islands. And just, Lord of the Rings tour? Um, yeah, yeah, I did that last time. <laughs> Um, it's awesome like, I've just been in love with the place uh, and really wanted to live there for longer so I kind of had the chance and still to go on sabbatical so I decided to, uh, to move there for six months with my girlfriend um, so yeah we moved over there lived there for six months and then we're travelling for a few months on the way back to the UK now yeah. Um, but yeah we just love the place and Queensland's a really special nice tranquil special place yeah it's, it's a world away from London you know London's very busy very congested quite polluted and you walk out in Queenstown and it's the exact opposite, so it's nice to have that change. During that fateful speech at MozCon in 2012, Paddy gave away 35 link building tips in 35 minutes. Not an easy feat, but there was some really great advice contained in those precious minutes. While some of the 35 tips were directed towards seasoned veteran companies with big budgets to invest in long-term strategies, Paddy also had strategies for smaller guys with less time or budget to spend. I think one of the things that I've seen a lot of success with recently is link building based around images and um, basically seeing who's copied your images, going to and approaching them and saying, hey, give us a credit link back who can choose our image because that feels very natural to a lot of people and you don't even have to ask for a link, you ask for a credit. Um, which is a link but you're asking for it and even if you haven't got big budgets and you're quite a small team 
doing that with your company logo, for example, can be a really quick win. It doesn't require any extra resource. You know, every company's got a logo, so you can just you know run that through Google Image Search, see if anyone's used it, and you know thank them for it and see if there's a link there and ask for it if there's not. Yeah, um, actually going to take a photo of you yeah. and not send you a link to this interview, but get you to find it <laughs> based on reverse image search. Yeah, so you yeah. Can find the I'll hit me up for a link afterwards. Yeah, and I can do a bit of outreach to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's quite a, a good tactic it's quite low cost um, but you can take it all the way to the other way the other extent as well whereby you know you get a professional photographer in to take unique photos just for you and then do it off the back of that if you've got a bit more budget yeah. um, the other thing which one of my clients had quite a lot of success with recently is broken link building so literally just finding um, their broken links you know 404 pages realigning those that's worked out quite well their own sites or on yes. external sites? Um, uh, sorry, uh, external links pointing to them. Yeah. So, um, particularly with the older clients who have been around for many years, they've always got broken links somewhere. Um, there's also a really good tip from, I think it's Will Reynolds that I've heard speak about it, where you look for misspellings of your brand name um, yeah. in the links. So, if someone's, like distilled.net is our URL, but if someone spelled distilled wrong, um, but still linking to us, you know, searching for that um, in backing like open source for Majestic, looking for those and seeing if someone's linking to the misspelling of the URL and approaching them saying, hey, sorry, it's broken, could you fix it? That's yeah. quite a good low cost tactic as well. Because everyone always spells the front, so yeah, yeah. there's going to be a few broken <laughs> ones the in there. Of the internet. In 2013, Paddy produced a book on link building called The Link Building Book. It's quite an epic, well-developed, comprehensive guide to the entire process of link building that took some serious time and energy to put together. So the first idea came in April 2012, and I'd been invited to speak at MozCon, so the idea was I was going to give it away um, to, the, to the audience at MozCon. Um, but time constraints were getting away, and it just wasn't going to happen, so I was working on it part-time for probably about six or seven months before I went to New Zealand. And then once I got to New Zealand, I was working pretty much full-time on it for about two or three months. Um, and then it just kind of kept growing and growing. Originally, it was meant to be about 20,000, 30,000 words. Uh, that ended up being nearly 70. So it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I kept working really late nights and trying to get it all done. Um, but it kind of just... Um, so probably about nine months in total it took. Um, but that was kind of half part-time, half full-time. Um, and then eventually I just had to say... You know, that's it. Get it live, publish it, rather yeah. than to keep it out yeah, too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it took quite a long time in the end, but I think it's worth it. It's been really good. Um, certainly a lot better than I expected. Um, the sales have been really good so far, um, and all the feedback's been great as well. Yeah. There's been a few really good pieces of uh, constructive criticism of it, so um, there's, been, there's definitely areas that I can improve. Uh, so I'm going to try and do that in the next edition and try and add some more stuff in. But most people. Um, have really loved it, recommended it to others, that kind of stuff. So I'm really happy with it at the moment. Um, and all the you know emails that I get have all been really positive, so I'm quite happy with it. Towards the end of the book, he gives a summary of the different types of link building tactics out there. I would have liked to see how Paddy rated each tactic, but he decided to hold off judgment for the book. Yeah, I did actually consider doing that, and I realised that uh, I didn't really have time to do that in the end, um, and so. There's actually a link in the book to John Cooper's uh, list of link building tactics because yeah. he's done a similar thing. Yeah. 
and to be honest he did it so well that I was never going to be able to do something better in the time that I had so I thought I'd just point people towards that that's yeah. probably one of the best resources there is out there but yeah I will want to do that yeah. at some point because yeah some tactics you know are applicable for e-commerce sites some are good for B2B sites so I do want to try and segment a little bit more and make it more useful Given the dynamic climate of link building, writing a hard copy book came with its risks. The fact that things could change in the middle of writing the book demands that a second edition had to be on Paddy's mind even before the first edition's ink had time to dry. So there will definitely be a second edition. I'm hoping around the summer, hopefully July, August time or something like Um but it's, it did change as I progressed because uh, well, one penguin happened about two weeks after I had the idea of the book, so that kind of you know scoped quite a lot of you know, the uh, the content and chapters. Um, but it did change as I went along because I just kept learning more stuff, and as I researched certain areas more, um, I just naturally learned more stuff that I wanted to include. So it did change as I went along, and the original. Um, tablet contents is very different or was very different to what's in there now Um, because also I started getting feedback from my colleagues at Distilled got some friends to look at it and I just kept coming up with more and more ideas for what I could include so it ended up being very very different in the end but hopefully what I've got is still quite comprehensive Um, there's still stuff I want to include (laughs) yeah Uh, but I've got quite high standards with that kind of thing so I look at it now and think what I should have in- or what I could have included rather than what's actually in there. So yeah. I just keep thinking of what I could add to it, and hopefully it'll be even more comprehensive. Yeah. It's one of the main reasons why I didn't want to do uh, just print versions of the book as well, because um, with an online version, an ebook, you just send out a new version, yeah. you know, to tomorrow and it's done. Whereas with print, obviously you can't go back once it's done, it's done. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I stayed away from the print side of things. I just want to keep it online and keep it. Easy, easy for people to update and read rather than having to reprint every time that'd be quite messy and expensive. In the book, Paddy also mentions a personal site that he's been running for a while that has served as a solid testing ground to measure the impact of certain link building techniques post Penguin and Panda. Um, I've got a few of my own sites that I kind of mess about with and um, some of them used to make a bit of money, most of them don't anymore because I've just not got the time to really keep at them but um, a lot of my really old sites, uh, most of them don't rank for anything anymore because they were built upon really bad spammy links. <laughs> you know, they were kind of like my test sites years and years ago, and I used to fire all sorts of crappy links at them, and none of them rank anymore. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of ones where I don't really want, need, I don't want to rank them. I just do the set them up to test random things yeah. on. Um, so yeah, I've not really got any of them running properly anymore. They're just kind of spare time. Testing grounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is good to have, I think, because sometimes I test stuff on my own blog, but I don't really want to risk doing anything too shady on my own blog yeah. just in case it goes wrong. Um, um, this day and age, it's not worth the risk, is it? No, not at all, because <laughs> you know, with Penguin especially, even a small amount of bad links could cause you problems now, I think. Having a risk-free arena to test out strategies has given Patty the ability to see what tactics can stand the test of time. Hmm. That sounds like the kind of training programs of a Matrix. Pity you'll lack the interface to join in a spirited kung fu battle. My tiger style cannot be matched. Except by the crane style. But your browsing history suggests you haven't been keeping up with your Wu-Tang regimen watch. I think ultimately that you've got to think about the stuff that Google will never want to penalise. And ulti- ultimately that comes back to 
having a website that deserves to, to get links and one of the problems that I have sometimes with clients is I look at their website and I won't know why they deserve to get links and you ask them themselves you say well, why should someone link to you why should TechCrunch link to you uh, why should Mashable link to you and they struggle to answer it and that's quite a bad sign anyway so I think the sort of stuff that stands the test of time is um, a, content, a, a website that's genuinely link worthy so it's got good resources on there they've got really good product pages they've got a good product you know that that in itself is link worthy and yeah. um, having something unique so I think really that's the sort of thing that I want to see SEO is pushing more towards is just genuinely good marketing of the products and marketing of the company yeah. um, that's the sort of stuff that Google doesn't want to penalise so it will stand the test of time whereas you know the low level tactics that you know Google are going to catch them at some point it's just a matter of yeah. you know when rather than if um, which makes things harder but for the people that can get it right you know it's going to work out for them understanding the customer and creating a strong user experience is a key component of Paddy's SEO practice again it comes back to just good marketing you know you provide a good experience for your customers and they're going to come back to you um, I wrote a blog post a few weeks ago about um, building online assets that Google can't take away and one of those things is a good customer base because if you've got a loyal customer base they won't, you don't need to rank they come straight back to you they just Google your brand or they'll have your footmarks they'll type in the URL and you don't need to rank well first customers to keep coming back and buying from you so being able to build out you know, a loyal customer base is you know, probably number one on the list of priorities online the audience thing isn't it exactly yeah. I mean, a good example within the industry is actually SEO Moss like they people don't um, okay they get traffic through people googling SEO tools and SEO software but their customers love them so much that they just come straight back you know they don't need to google stuff it goes without saying that establishing relationships is important in link building the longer Paddy has been in the game the more his good reputation becomes an asset that can make things easier from time to time there's been a couple actually where um I've been doing outreach for a client and whenever I, whenever I do outreach I will do it myself from my distilled email address um, the only time that I don't is when a client wants a certain persona being used and so I can hand over that persona to the client but 99% of the time I will do it as myself so there has been occasions where people have recognised my name from SEO so uh, I've kind of sometimes got a link as a result of people knowing who I am and then give them a bit of free SEO advice. So there's been a few instances where someone said, oh, can you take a quick look over my website? You know, give me some pointers. And I've done that, and I've got a link as a result of that. So that's happened a few times, which is quite cool. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um, and then you've got that relationship ongoing. Um, I've even had freelance work as a result of link building for clients, which is really, really weird. A common mistake is to send an outreach email and ask for a link up front. But Paddy's approach is all about getting your foot in the door and establishing that rapport and kind of schmoozing your way into bringing the link up. Bot-to-bot relationship building is far more logic-based. Standard protocol requires us to cycle through our code until an acceptable pattern allows a connection. Worst case scenario, we can use an ether cable. Again, that relationship building, that's what it's about. And if you think about how a public relations person would approach it, yeah. they've got their black books full of relationships. That's what they're known for. That's what they build their careers upon. Um, SEO should be the same. You know, you build relationships with people. So you don't always need to email and ask for links. You just get them eventually. Um, but someone else who I, who I really admire in terms of link building is a guy called Justin Briggs, based in Seattle. Um, he used to work for Distilled, now he works in-house. Uh, but he's very 
um, kind of very practical with link building and he thinks very um, like technically as well so so you work for a gaming company yeah they're fish. called uh, Big Fish Games um, he did um, a blog post recently about how to create technical content for link building so using you know, really simple JavaScript tools and um, simple uh, coding tools to create your own content so you've not got to rely upon developers to create stuff for you and I thought that was really really smart you know if you can do that kind of thing yourself you know, make a really simple interactive infographic um, and get links to it then normally, you, know, you can do it yourself rather than rely upon developers or have to pay for developers so I thought that was really smart and he's a really really good guy as well In content marketing the concept of link earning has been championed by guys like Will Reynolds and Mike King to challenge link builders to go beyond limited tactics that don't actually add value to a brand or a company and to produce good shit that people will link to naturally. Veterans like Patty recognize the value in real company shit, but also the real life challenges it can present to smaller brands. I think it's an awesome idea if it works. In the reality is that it's very hard. Um, because even though I don't like the idea that when people say create great content and you'll get links because it's not always that straightforward um, it is for the big sites who people already know about and there's big, already an audience yeah exactly when you've already got a community yeah it's easy but for a lot of clients they haven't got that community they haven't got the brand they've not got the influence to just push out content and get links so I think it's a great idea but the reality is that you've got to work hard especially in the early days to you know, promote the content and build that readership and build the audience. And once you've got to that point, yeah, you're going to get links naturally, you're going to, you know, earn links over time that happen on their own. But it's actually really, really hard to do. And a yeah. lot of clients don't want to wait that long, which makes your job even harder. They want to see results straight away. With so many different techniques in his link building arsenal, to execute them, there are some tools that Paddy just can't live without. Screaming Frog um, is probably the tool which I use the most um, aside from Excel which kind of goes about saying Excel's brilliant um, although Excel for Mac is really annoying so yeah. <laughs> SEO tools for Excel is a really really good yeah. tool but it doesn't work on a Mac and it bugs the hell out of me um, and the other one for link building is probably Buzzstream which I, I, yeah, I love it it's, I, I feel like I work for them sometimes because yeah. I, I always talk about it it's really cool I mean it's probably it's better for teams of SEOs rather than individuals. So when you're an individual, uh, an Excel spreadsheet will probably do the job. But when you're managing multiple clients and multiple link builders, yeah. it's really good for the integration. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's really cool. Like if you outsource your link builder to anyone, they can hook into Buzzstream and do the work, keep an eye on it. Um, so they're probably the main tools uh, that I use the most. And to be honest, Google is probably the one which I use day in day out like, I know there's lots of tools out there for scraping search results and scraping uh, link targets that kind of thing yeah. but at the end of the day Google can give you all the answers that you need they're the ones who you know have got all the websites you can find them on Google so for free rather than spending loads of money on tools so I definitely advise figuring out how to use advanced search queries on Google yeah. and how to narrow down results really quickly um, that's something which I do I enjoy doing that a lot it's really yeah what do I do the most? And now let's take some time out for a Mugen philosophy break. How many links could a link builder build if a link builder could build links? I've got this thing about, um, I'm trying to change the way that people think about link building a little bit because um, and I, I did have it in my SMX deck originally, but I've taken it out now that 
a basically uh, a good link builder doesn't uh, a good link builder will get your links you know that's pretty straightforward but then a great link builder will get your links that you didn't ask for and it's I think moving towards that mindset of um, a link builder being able to get links I didn't ask for is the way it's, it's got to go eventually because yeah. they're the links again which Google don't want to paint like they're the ones that are given naturally well that was fun I think Paddy's no longer a distilled now and he's running his own shop called Ira so check out his new website ira.net I believe and you can follow Paddy on social and catch him speaking around the globe and not just Paddy but you can also follow John Cooper on social media we'll have the links below in the show notes uh, and as well as their website and some of our favorite work they've produced so if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your family friends networks colleagues bots pets associates everyone you could think of now bobby's been programmed to be a quick learner and it's time for bobby to ask me a few questions about his curiosity from this episode what do you got for me bobby do you remember your first link attempt yeah so i believe it was a website i think it was called possum pages it was like a big page and all it had on it was links and i had to get a link placement for one of our clients thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore we all know i have plenty of content so what do I do with it? You got to make sure it's quality, Bobby. You got to make sure that people want to consume it because it's not just having content. It's got to be good quality content that has a reason to be shared. I usually like to run the mum test. Would you share this with your mum? Probably going to be good content that'll get links. Bit of a strange question, but is Patty Mugen a long lost relative of the Moog synth? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I don't think so. There's not too many of us. So what do you say, Bobby? Can I wield the mighty Moog like a synth lord all over the theme song to your film franchise? Last request. Let's start with a jam, and we'll take it from there. Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Thanks again for listening along. Tune in next week for our conversation with Jason Asadre on episode 8. And remember, look after each other online because empathy is organic and you can't automate empathy.